Hi, welcome to season nine. Um, we're in episode five of what we're calling art and science. And we're going deep into art. We're going deep into science. Um, and then we're looking at, uh, at some of the, the ways that they interact. So uh, today we're going to add art to science. And I'm Mary Abazia. With me, of course, is Tom Spitali and Sean Wellam. Um, Tom, do you want to take this a bit further and talk about what that means, art in the science? Yeah, I think our reputation can be somewhat of uh, being science marketing scientists because what we tend to do is bring um, some some significant scientific process to to marketing um, and uh, allow people to apply that process you know in in a very disciplined manner but I think the three of us agree having done this together for 20 years that there's a significant amount of, of art that um, makes the strategic scientific marketer very, very successful. And so, you know, there's, as, as the three of us were kind of discussing this episode, we threw out, you know, a couple of our famous tools, if you will, that require a bit of art to, to, to really kind of hone in ultimately on a, a specific strategy. They, they're things like our influence mapping process, our segmentation process, our positioning process. There's probably a little bit of art in all the tools, but we wanted to take some time and at least start on this episode to, to, to talk about how art plays into uh, some of those tools, some of those really important strategic marketing processes and uh, see how far we get. Maybe this will be a couple episodes, who knows? <laughs> So I'm just going to, maybe I'll just throw one out there so that we don't have that awkward silence that we had last time on the last episode. <laughs> um, let's just, let's just start with the influence mapping. You know, this process that we take our, our clients through of identifying all of the stakeholders in a, a given market and um, not only who they are, but how powerful each of the stakeholder holders are in today's world and how that uh, power is shifting so that our clients can really make sure that they're prioritizing the right stakeholders, the emerging stakeholders in any given market. You know, how do you guys experience art in the process of building a stakeholder map? Yeah, I think the, the, to me, the big difference, you know, we talk about art and science, but really it's evidence versus intuition, isn't it? That's, that's how I tend to think of it. Like, like if we have hard evidence or, or something that's testable, then it comes into what we term the science category. It's something that we can evaluate. Whereas when you get into um, things like influencer map, it's very much intuition because there's no reliable way to measure influence i would suggest you know we all sort of know that, that that this individual or this group of individuals or this entity has a huge influence over our market and we can all agree that but how we compare their influence with say another group which we all agree has maybe less influence but still has some in our market well we can all sit around and say they're more influential than these guys but there's no real measure i mean we use the uh, the, you know the size of the circle to represent the the size of influence. So we so we have a visual cue, but the actual dimensions aren't calibrated in a way that that every everyone would agree that's a seven point two that influences seven point. This one's a six point three. We don't have that degree of granularity or measurement. So I always think of it as being you you just sort of know 
and that becomes the interpretation part of of it if you or if you like the artistic part it's really judgmental it's it's subjective to an extent and i think with the influencer map it's it's one of the maybe the more subjective tools that we have you know we can all agree but we don't know why we agree we agree through experience and through um i guess that thing you might call common sense yeah we all agree it's obvious this person's a big influence in our market but measuring it is 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 quite tricky so i think i think influencer map often starts as an artistic endeavor from my perspective. Yeah, I, it's funny. I, I look at it as actually almost opposite maybe um, in that the current state, you can get it real and right. Um, in fact, we had a client that spent, I think they spent about $500,000 and they got every influencer on the map. I mean, they did it data, data out. Uh, and so their map was, very accurate and uh but the problem was is it was so complicated that no one really could get insights from it so i think you know you're right sean if you're just kind of you know sculpting fog you you're guessing a lot but if you take any actions towards getting evidence and supporting it and saying um you know to the sales people to other customers is this how you see this landscape it gets very scientific very fast because you can start to measure that where the art for me kicks in is more when you get to the future state because you can't validate that's where you really are thinking kind of tangentially well these trends are happening so that might happen to that stakeholder group the government might get bigger or the payers may get smaller um so that's that's how i see art and science in, in one of my favorite tools it's interesting i like when we actually disagree because it's it's real isn't it as opposed to us all just like spouting some sort of pre pre-agreed line but i'm going to push back a little bit and say that what you measure with influence is consensus you measure agreement amongst people now we all know there's plenty of examples where people can 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 all agree and be totally wrong at the same time right you know the the, the, the a, a collective view doesn't necessarily mean it's right Look at recent election results around the world where you could take a view of saying, why would people vote this way for this thing? It, it's not always a guarantee. So, yes, you can use science to measure consensus and say it's like an opinion poll. Forty two percent of people with a confidence interval of three percent agree with this statement. That's measurable. What's not measurable is the actual influence that's the bit to me which is intangible it's 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 we're, we're measuring what people believe somebody's influence it is and that may still be a very good yardstick i'm not saying it's not but it's not measuring influence per se it's measuring the consensus of people who believe that to be so because part of the art of influence is to find those people that actually do have influence but they're sort of hidden away or they're missing and the consensus will always agree, oh, yeah, you've got to talk to these guys. You've got to talk to these people. But if you can find someone that quietly is influencing things, maybe from behind the scenes, that's the art of it, is digging out those the, the, the real influence, if you like, not just the consensus. Not saying consensus is not important. That's the only way you've got to really take the first stab at who's influencing this market. But I would argue it doesn't measure influence as much as measures people's agreement on who influences. And I think they're subtly different. Well, I think you're right, because there's we're talking about different subtleties. Um, I think that the consensus, if you stay in your own four walls, that's where the consensus, you know, everyone starts to feel good, but they actually, you know, the emperor has no clothes kind of a thing. But what I'm suggesting is going out to customers and 
um, they're going to be able to more clearly say, this is the person that got me to make a decision. That person had no influence on my decision. So if you are going to actually get beyond your four walls and beyond that consensus, that's where I do think that you are measuring it, where you're talking to customers about who impacts their decisions. That's where it starts to get real for me. And I think on that, there's, there's the, the, the classic argument that no one, no one admits that they, they uh, respond to advertising, right? No one says, why would you buy an Apple phone? Oh, because of the ad. It was great. There's all these people dancing and there was the black and the white. And the, it was fantastic. I bought it that they will always uh, they'll, they'll sort of do a retcon and say, like, well, it's because it's a much better system or it fits me or I like the apps or it's transport. Or it's com- it's, they, they'll give you lots of reasons. I'll never say because I saw an ad. You say to doctors, why do you prescribe this? Is this your prescription history? Anything to do with the symposiums and the, the various events that you went to in the Bahamas? And they will say, no, of course not. I'm a professional yet. If you correlate the data of people that attend those events and their subsequent prescribing history, it goes up. But they would never admit that was an influence to them. You say to someone, you do a massive advert for Apple featuring a well-known celebrity and the sales go up. You ask those people who were the new customers. It wasn't because of that ad. It was because of a rational reason. So there's a danger of... Um, of asking people what their influences are because influence isn't it's it's very subtle and people have their own version of reality and they don't admit to influence so there's still a chance that people will give you a, a wrong steer and that again is art it's not science because you're, you're measuring opinion and opinion isn't isn't measurable in a in a such a meaningful way it's not data as such yeah but you did i i agree people will lie they do lie there's bias in that but what you did touch on is is measuring their behavior. So when you go to customers, it's fair to ask them, but it also is good to use, especially now there's so much data available to correlate their actions with what's out there. And you can start to bring science in so that it does start to, um, it is measurable. Yeah, well, I but agree with that. Watch I, the biases. I, I agree with that. I think if you have someone that say, say you had a key opinion leader and somehow you persuaded them to, say something positive about your particular product or service and then as a consequence of those people making that statement you see an uptick a correlation if you like between the event and subsequent sales then you've got good evidence so post event i totally agree you can measure influence after you've made the the influence decision we're going to have this person front our campaign or we're going to have this person um, bring up the benefits of our product in a meeting. We're going to get engineering to come to the party and say, this is really good for us because it lowers our maintenance costs or something like that. If you do that and subsequently measure, then you've got some science. And I think that's the challenge. It's that, it's that timeline. Because if you have, if you're trying to measure influence before you decide what to do, you'll struggle. If you measure it afterwards, totally agree. You've, you've got good evidence because then you're measuring cause and effect, but you've actually got the effect as opposed to measuring sort of cause and opinion, which is, which is the, the, the challenge, which is why I, st- I still say that the, at least at the beginning, it's a very artistic, interpretive, subjective approach. But I think the point you hit is that, that like everything, truth will out. You measure consequence, you measure effect, and then you, you retrospectively look and pull apart what those correlating variables were. I, I think that it is definitely I mean, the, people love it because we bring science 
to influence mapping. In other words, we bring a process when we, we talk about it. We overlay a process so people can, can make decisions. But I do think that it is one of our more artistic tools for a couple of reasons. One is when you add the uh, aspect of how is power shifting, okay, that becomes even more kind of hard to wrap your arms around in a very quantitative manner. And to me, that is the most important part of the process, right? Because your, your, your competitors would probably draw a very similar influence map, current state influence map as you. You know, everybody's like kind of settled in to saying these are the important stakeholders. The, the, the real insight that comes from the influence map is to then predict where the, as Gretzky used to say, where's the puck going, not where is the puck now, I skate to where the puck is going. And so you, that is a, a considerable amount of projection that goes in there. And I think that, that when you introduce that amount of projection, it becomes really artistic. The thing that I think all three of us have said to people, I know I have lots at the end of the influence map when we ask the question, how would you get this right? The, the answer isn't typically go to some, you know, some research house and try to measure influence and emerging influence. It's, it's, it's cost prohibitive. As Mary, as you said, somebody once did it and they spent what a half a million dollars on it and they still didn't really get it right. It's kind of very hard to kind of get the definitive answer here. That's what makes it, I think, about artistic, because what we say is this is right when you've gotten enough opinions, you know, from inside, outside your organization about the industry that you can say, I think this has got to be pretty close. To me, that's artistic. You know, you're looking at something and you're saying, not quite, not quite now. <laughs> now it, it's done. And, and, and so that's why I, I think it, it is one of our more artistic uh, processes but people love it because we bring science to it and allow them to visualize the shift in power in a way that's really powerful and, and allows them to make um, good decisions. So yeah, I think part of part of that process, I like what you said. Well, Sean said, going back a little bit more, Sean said that part of the process is finding those people that your competitors didn't put on the map or looking at it in a different way. And that clearly has to be art. I mean, I, unless you're really good at getting data that gives you some insight that your competitors don't, it takes getting that, that odd voice in the room when you're trying to figure it out. And they go, hey, you guys are forgetting somebody really obvious. And we've seen it in so many of our work sessions where they, you know, our joke is you forget the baby in baby formula, you know, and, or the patient um, in some things. So there is an definite art to getting that, that, that person that isn't um, on that chart or whoever that, that influence body is and making sure that you have people that are different minded in your room when you're working on this so that you do get a lot of different perspectives. Uh, and Mary, I, I was, you got up to share a story. I, I think Mary, your scientific perspective of this is driven by an experience that I've heard you talk about a lot, a, a scientific experience when you were talking about, I think it's a, about um, a local hospital and why they buy um, certain MRI machines. You know what story I'm talking about? Where they, they you, 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 you I'll, I'll share it because you're, I can tell by your face you're not remembering, where everybody thought that the MRI or that it was some kind of a medical machine was dependent upon 
the opinion oh, my of friend. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I was a little slow. COVID. Um, yeah, Dr. King, everyone at the rating, yeah, at our at the hospital, everyone thought that um, that this doctor was the head of radiology was the one that everyone made the decisions on. And when when the they went to validate and they asked who make you know who helps you make the decisions and somebody or they said first what type of equipment are you buying at the hospital now they said well, we're buying Toshiba and then following up and saying well why are you buying Toshiba and says oh the purchasing guys going out to lunch with the Toshiba rep um, it was obvious that purchasing's influence was much bigger and the head of radiology actually was was much smaller um, than what anyone had thought so that helped them right size their map and, and that could cause you to think well right then if I go and I have enough you know, if I do a quantitative survey, and, and, you know, I could I could find all of that, and that's a very sign. You know, I could find how, how how that's playing out at different hospitals. That experience is somewhat more of a of a scientific thing. But that's just again going back to it. Decision making is done differently in so many different ways, and and in so many different situations, it's just almost cost prohibitive to say I can scientifically measure influence. You know, if I ask enough people. Um, it's just very difficult, even if you had, you know, an unlimited budget to do it. And that's back to why I think it's an artistic tool. I think it's also an important part of the message that don't don't expect to have, you know, we, we talk about our, our methodologies as tools for thinking because they're not necessarily tools for solving. It's, it's not uh, it's not E equals MC squared. There's not a formula that explains <laughs> something. Yeah. You're really trying to narrow those balance of probabilities. We talked about this before, the, you know, what burden of proof do you set yourself? And what we're trying to say is let's go through a methodical process, cancel widely, get lots of inputs and opinions, keep asking what if, keep asking who's missing, Keep asking, how do we know that this person doesn't have influence? Think about who has the power to say no. There's lots of prompts and ways of thinking, and we bring that all together in a lovely structured process. And the attempt is to, is to make sure we don't miss somebody important. We do have a relative important scale that's generally agreed upon, and then we, we act upon it. So it's methodical, but it's also very intuitive and very subjective. And then the important part, how we measure it. Of course, the other challenge of measuring anything is that multifactorial. You, you can't isolate a single variable. You know, was it because we started speaking to this person? Was it because of this event that we had? Was it this new advertising campaign that we had? Was it the new packaging? Was it the trade show we went to? Was it the, we, there's so many factors. It's really hard. So you have to have a, that. And, and again, that's the ultimate art, isn't it? Is looking at all those moving parts, all those little levers you can push and pull and saying this seems to be working and you might never know you might never know exactly that 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 was the perfect combination because the, the the thing that haunts most marketers is that is that counterfactual thinking what if we'd done this differently what if we had done that pricing with that promotion targeted at these people as opposed to what we did and you can go nuts doing that you can end up saying there's so many ways You've always got to look at, at saying, are we achieving our broad goal, moving forward, achieving what we want, market share, price recovery, penetration, whatever it is, and, and then always look to improve through experimentation. And that's how you look at the whole tools put together, because once you add more than one tool into the mix, it's, it's very much a, 
um, there's a there's a, a knack to it. It's it's not a uh, it's not scientific, which is why some people can be really good marketers and some people can have the same tools and maybe not quite so good. There's a sort of X factor in there, isn't there? That that's the uh, the ultimate. Yeah. I, I I don't I, I didn't know if we I'm not going to introduce a second tool because I think we we really probably are coming up on our time and and we found a lot to to talk about with. Um, with that influence map. But I think the final point that I would make about influence mapping is, you know, Sean, you called it multifactorial. And, it, you know, it, 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 can, it, it can seem like so overwhelming and not just with the influencer map, but with a lot of these other, you know, pieces of the, the strategic marketing process. The great thing about the science of tools is that overlays on this multifactorial process so that at least you can take this really almost overwhelming um, set of set of uh, inputs and, 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 and get to some kind of an agreement on how you're going to move forward. Because the biggest mistake is to do nothing at all or just to throw up your hands or just keep doing things this, the, the same way that you've always done them because you think there's absolutely it's too complicated. We can't do it. And so that's what all, why having a set of scientific tools always makes a lot of sense because you can overlay them and you can make the best decision possible, um, and 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 not, you know, get complacent or or just give up. Which is hope is not a strategy. It's uh, it's showing you're working out, isn't it? Did you used to get that instruction in the exams that you took at school, the way you'd say you'd get some math problem? And then the instruction would always say, show your workings out. The, the idea being you could get the answer wrong, but if you went through some sort of methodical approach and you did the right thing, you could still earn points for that, that exam question, right? So that was a common instruction is show your workings out. Yeah. And it's similar to this. If you've got a methodology that says, how, how did you arrive at this decision? Well, we took this and we took this and we made this decision and we made these assumptions and we had this that we'd verified through this research and blah, blah, blah. And you have a you have a, a, a coherent backing to your action. Yes. And not only that, you have people behind you, because we know one of the factors of marketing is that is that concept that, that success has many parents and failure is an orphan. And and the more people that contribute to that endeavor, whether it succeeds or fails to whatever degree, you you can't ever look at it and say why did you do this? And well, you you were you were part of this. It also builds that that um, that support because you want everyone to be behind it. You don't want people on your own side waiting for something to fail because of some internal political reasons, right? So it's another great way of of uh, of, of aligning people to to the to that vision and and like I say, show you're working out. Yeah, yeah, and at a much higher level, it shows that as a manager. There's an art to managing all of that collectiveness, right. so, yeah. <laughs> um, which is not easy sometimes, especially when you have to do everything on Zoom. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe the art and science of management, that would be a topic that would keep us going for a day or two talking about that, because you're absolutely right. It's the ultimate. Isn't it? Oh, yeah. We, uh, we hope that out of all of this, uh, we've thrown a lot up and uh, hopefully you've uh, you've thought of a few things that uh, might help you uh, think through your business and apply some some art and science. We um, we have loads of podcasts available, a couple of them on this topic and many on many others, eight other seasons. So anywhere you get your podcast, uh, and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.